So welcome back to Leaders of Consulting. Today I'm here with Chris Sparks, who is a retired professional poker player, and he is also the founder of Forcing Function. So he parlayed his peak performance in poker over to helping coaching others around peak performance. So it's a uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the show, Chris. I've been a, a long time follower of of um, all the great work that you're doing. So thanks for coming on. It's an honor to be here, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. So as we were discussing a little bit earlier, you published an article around everything that you'd learned over the years around building a better service business. And I'd love to pick one or two points from that uh, to do a little bit of a deep dive in this conversation. So can you tell me like where that article came from? What was the idea behind it? Sure. Yeah, I've built a couple of businesses in the consulting space. The first one, as you mentioned, I have a poker background. So I coached up and coming poker players who were really good also amongst the best players in the world, but kind of on the come up and you know, sharing things that I had learned, not only the tactical how to play the game, but the behind the scenes of the mental preparation and essentially the the inner game of being a poker player. How do you manage your own career? And how uh, Force and Function started back in 2016, which is my primary focus today, was a lot of the poker players who I worked with in my poker heyday then went on to start businesses or create investment funds. So we would continue our previous conversations that had a lot of overlap, just different metaphors, and discovered that some of the things that need to be in place to make it to the top of a field really generalize across fields. And that was the birth of forcing function. So I didn't have the same weaponry at my disposal when I started forcing function as when... I was doing my poker consultancy, Higher Limits. It's a lot easier to promote a service when you are objectively recognized one of the top 20 in the world at something versus something that's a little bit more subjective as performance coaching. So I kind of had to take it from scratch and figure things out. And this was how the post was born was, all right, things five years later, seem to be alive and clicking pretty well. It's sustainable. How did I get here? What, what have I learned? That was the birth of the post. I find a lot of writing is really a process of self-discovery. So these were some of the lessons and they, they generally fall into two categories. So maybe I'll share one from each category. The first one is strategy. So, you know, how do you approach? What services do you choose to offer to whom? How do you position yourself? And the second is, okay, how do you find great clients, the marketing and sales angle? Uh, how do they find you? How do you close them? What does that onboarding look like? Uh, I kind of divided the lessons into you know, these two categories. So I'll, I'll pause there. I have a couple of favorites, but uh, you know, if there's any, you know, any, anything on your mind, anything specific, you would have questions about, you know, how I do things. That might be a good jumping off point. Well, actually, um, if you don't mind, actually, it just crossed my mind backtracking a little bit to the name, to actually the name of your brand, the forcing function. It's a concept that's interested me. And I'm curious, like what, if any, 
frames do you have for, for people to implement forcing functions in their life? Um, there was a book I was reading recently um, called You Can't Teach a Kid to Ride a Bike at a Seminar. Uh, do you, do you, are you familiar with it? Mm, no. no, it's um, it's, ba- it's basically a, a book by a sales trainer called David Sandler. And uh, during the, the course of the book, he talks about how he overcame his fear of cold calling uh, by creating basically a trap, a forcing function uh, to cure his uh, reluctance of um, doing cold calls. So what he actually did is he, he actually offered free workshops for sales reps to overcome, overcome their, their reluctance to make calls, basically. So he had to perform for an audience. And because he had an audience, he was, he found himself more on top of his game and he was able to just overcome, you know, his own challenges to that. So I'm curious, like, I know you've, you've spoken about it a little bit, but are there, what other kind of instances like that do you, um, can you point to for, in terms of forcing functions? First, just a meta point for consultants that there's a lot of power in where you plant your flag as a brand and really we're competing for mindshare. So I like to plant my flag, whether I'm writing an article or naming a company somewhere that people are already talking about and thinking about. So I noticed that the forcing function was a term that both I, as well as people who I really respected were using a lot in conversation. There was already a lot of positive connotations there. The origin of forcing function is from mathematics and design. And the literal definition is to bring to consciousness. You do things as a designer to essentially where you play something on a screen that draws your consciousness, draws your eye to that place. And you think about this in a productivity performance context, it's the first step to changing anything is to bring your awareness to it. Where are things currently? What is the current state? And what are opportunities to bring that current state closer to that intended vision where it all starts with awareness? And the double meaning there is I tend to act as that forcing function for my clients by drawing their attention or bringing their attention back towards the things that are important to them and serving this function of forcing them to take actions towards those goals, towards that vision, where you can't really get someone to do something. You can't really get someone to change their mind. What you can do is you can create an experiment. You can frame an opportunity that through that experience allows them to change their belief, allows them to catalyze, hey, this is a habit, this is a routine, this is a system, this is part of my identity. And yeah, it it has a lot of intrinsic meaning for me, but I think most importantly, it was a concept that really resonated with the people that I worked with, where they would say, literally, I am looking for a forcing function on my health. I'm looking for a forcing function on my relationships. I'm looking for a forcing function to improve my decision-making process. And by having this third-party objective observer, which I think any good consultant is, to tighten those feedback loops, essentially assuring progress in these areas by putting a forcing function in place. So obvious examples like, hey, if let's say you want to start working out regularly, well, if you are tracking your workouts and showing those workouts to a friend, well, surely that accountability is going to work because they know what you're doing. And the opportunity of 
them giving you advice or you being prepared to explain what you're doing will crystallize that awareness. And once you start to identify these opportunities where by having this in place, you automatically change your default into the infinite future, it's really a concept that has a lot of legs. Yeah. I, I also find the uh, the idea if you set constraints for yourself, even if they're slightly artificial constraints. So it may be like a little time period where you know you've got like 15 minutes or 20 minutes before the bus comes or, or whatever it may be. That really tends to propel you much more into action than normal. Yeah, there's a lot of wisdom that's compressed in this idea that creativity comes from constraints. The you know time expands to the amount of time that you give to them. You know, I think that most things wouldn't actually happen as a de- without a deadline. So a deadline's the most common forcing function is you have to ship something at that time. And the interesting thing being, you we can create deadlines. I'd say instead of having just one final exam, you create lots of small quizzes. You're giving a big presentation next week. You call up a couple of friends to look at your very crappy rough draft presentation this week, because by giving the presentation for the first time, you excavate what are the parts of the presentation that need the most work and you can focus your attention there. Or these are the parts that I have really down pat. I don't need to worry about them anymore. So, yeah. Excellent. Great. Yeah. So coming back to your uh, original article, like where you, you outlined some of the things that you picked up over the years running your uh, your services, high performance coaching. Um, one of them uh, I came across was uh, was staying out of sales purgatory. So can you explain for listeners what you mean by sales purgatory? Yeah, I went to Lutheran school growing up. So uh, this concept of purgatory was explained to me where you're not quite in heaven, you're not quite in hell, you're somewhere in between. And sales purgatory is you have some sort of verbal interest and maybe even verbal commitment but no check, no firm agree, signed agreement to begin working together. And I see this all the time um, with service business owners, say someone has an agency where they have clients who are always in sales purgatory where they've, they're ready to move forward, but they haven't actually started yet. Um, in the context of a coaching business, someone would say, yes, I'm really excited to work together, but you don't have a firm date of when that's going to be. It's like, oh, well, this time of year doesn't work great for me. Maybe let's start working in January or something. That's some sort of like convenient horizon that's ever ever receding. And the thing is, if you don't have any forcing function, see this concept popping up again, that someone has to put up or shut up, a lot of people will forever punt because consulting is a classic important but not urgent activity. And many people, if you do not frame it correctly, will think of it as an expense. And who would not want to delay an expense as long as possible? Obviously, we know that the sooner someone starts working together, the sooner you can start fixing the core issue that's at play and start receiving those compounding returns. So the solution to getting out of sales purgatory is to force their hand with an exploding offer. So when I have someone who, you know, when you do enough sales calls, you have a sense of, hey, this person, you know, they're on the line, it's a good fit. And I think they actually, well, they're interested. You have to give them the push. So I'll say, hey, I like all of my clients to be a hell yes or no. I find that this works the best when someone is fully committed. And in my experience, if it's not a hell yes within a week, it's a no. 
as soon as we get off this call, I'm gonna send you a link to start our work together. If I don't see that you've clicked that link and scheduled our first call within the week, I'll assume that it's a no and you decided not to work together. And it is amazing how many people on day six, hour 23, will sign up who might never have signed up if they weren't put to that. And again, it's not to put pressure on them. It's that the timing is never perfect. So you you are taking the burden off of their shoulders of trying to find the right time. Say it's like, hey, I think the time is now. If you agree, let's do this. If not, your, pro- your gut is probably telling you that this is not for you. So just that simple framing, that simple line, really increased my close rate. Not to mention when people sign up, they're generally a lot more jazz because the output, the outcomes that someone has from a consulting agreement, they're proportional to the person's buy-in. So the more someone comes in with high conviction, hey, I'm ready to go, like I'm pumped, let's do it now, um, the more likely they are to have results versus if they come in be like, well, this might be the time, I'm, I guess let's do this, it's convenient for me kind of thing. Yeah, I I love that framing with the hell yes or, or no. I, I'm familiar with the you know with the saying from Derek Sivers, but I'd never heard it applied in that particular context. Yeah, I I think that all performance productivity comes down to focus. It's saying no to the vast majority of things and hell yes to the very few things that matter. So I think it's a very helpful framing for someone. It's just a whole body hell yes great, let's run. If not, like there's lots of mixed metaphors here. There are lots of items at the buffet, go eat to your heart's content. But I find that just concentrating on these few things that matter, that's how people have the ultimate outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the other things that you you talk about as well, uh, quite a bit is around uh, referral strategy and how, how to be more referable. Can you speak to that a little bit more? Yeah, way back in the day, maybe five years ago, I saw this stat that normally I would have just looked past, but luckily I actually gave it a consideration, is that 80% of your revenue as a consultant comes from recurring clients. And it's kind of like setting in, it's like 80% from recurring clients, either clients who renew or clients who refer you to other clients. And we're always out there trying to reach new audiences, trying to get our name out there. And I've realized that the most effective thing that I can be doing is one, being better at my craft, just being good at what I do. Let's say my product is my marketing. If my clients have good results, they'll have to talk about it eventually. But two, reducing friction for clients to refer. Um, Because who is a better endorsement ambassador of what you, of the value that you have to offer than someone who's gone through the process, put in the work and had the results? Like anyone who comes on a sales call referred from a client, like that is a near 100% close for me because like they already know it's a lot of work. They've heard the results from someone 
and they're on this call, like all I have to do is just not blow it essentially. So I try to reorient my marketing, especially because I don't enjoy marketing. I don't, I, I actually don't think most people do, but I particularly don't like a lot of these aspects of marketing. I try to reorient around like, how can I encourage my clients to find other people like them who would benefit? I don't do any paid referrals. The only, the only referral bonus that I give is someone who refers me a paid client gets one free session. So that's just, that's a way I have a few clients I've been working with for a while who bring me great people and we get to continue working together. But what I do is when I find someone who I think would be a good fit, who is a mutual referral, I ask for it. I ask for the referral. I think a lot of people don't do the simple ask and thus like aren't top of mind. A lot of referrals comes down to like, are you the first person that they think about? Are they the first Google result? So this means being very specific in what you do and for whom. For me, I want to be the first person that someone thinks about, particularly one of my clients, when they have a friend that says, hey, I am looking to get more done, or I'm looking to become a better version of myself, um, say, and you know, I'm a VC. I'm a hedge fund manager. I'm a founder of a fast growing startup. Do you know anyone that I should talk to? I want to be that first person who comes up. And there's a lot of iteration on like honing down on being more specific on what I do and to whom, because if you're the second person mentioned, you aren't mentioned. It's like first, it's first or nothing. And, you know, for referrals, it's like, hey, I will meet this person anytime, anywhere. So you can, here's a blurb, you can send them, just forward an email and I'll email them. You can keep giving this link to sign up a call. Like here are all the options, just like pick one is you just kind of meet them where they are and reduce all friction to make it feel to go from like, hey, we're having a drunken conversation with a friend at the bar. And actually, I think I could use some help here to, okay, now I'm talking to Chris. I want to like remove any friction between those two events. Yeah. One of the other suggestions you have, which I really like is uh, having a page where you can send people, a, which is like a, a referable page, which has all the information about all the different kinds of services you do. It's it's such an easy thing to do um, to just set up a, a web page like that. Another thing you, you've got down, which I'm, I'm kind of curious uh, for you to kind of expand on a little bit more is you talk about how consultation calls are not sales calls. Can you say why you made that statement and what, what, what that entails to you? Yeah. I mean, I'm talking about sales calls like because of the audience, but I would never refer to them outside of the audience. I, I say strategy call. And anytime who someone gets on the phone with me, the entire time I am looking to add value to them. I have a questionnaire and an assessment that I have them complete ahead of time. And the whole time I am trying to get at what is their challenge and what would I recommend them trying to get past that. And sometimes I solve a challenge that someone came on on this initial call. We never even never even worked together. Maybe they come back to me in a few months, maybe not. But I always just try to lead with value. And this has a really good result. First, just like people are allergic to sales. No one wants to get on a call to be sold to, but no one can resist. This is the offer they can't refuse to, hey, I'm going to get on a call and you are going to tell me what I can do better. 
well, I'm really curious about myself because everyone has this inner narcissist. So yeah, I would love for you to hear, for you to talk about me. That sounds great. So I try to be super present, ask a lot of questions, sometimes annoyingly so, and make sure that anytime someone gets on a call with me, that they walk away feeling like they just got a ton of value. And the nice thing too, is that for them, it's essentially a sample of what it's like to be coached. So they don't need to have any questions about what the experience is like because they've experienced it. And I don't go into sales mode, notice I'm doing the air quotes, sales mode, until they ask me a sales question. Till someone's like, okay, so how does it work? How much does it cost? How often do we meet? Until someone asks a question like that, I don't mention anything. So it's on them. But once they've asked one of those questions, it's an explicit permission. It's like, hey, here is what you need to know. A lot of times I I have a deck that I send them off where it's like, hey, I'll send you a deck with all the details. Let's get back to talking about you. I just found that not only is it the most enjoyable because I happen to love what I do, but it's the most value for them. And if someone gets keeps getting value, they'll keep coming back. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. uh, there are different frames of those calls, no, different kinds of calls. Like you can have strategy calls, you can have discovery calls, consultation. So understanding like which to use and what what kind of framing to use and when um, is an important distinction. Yeah, this is just a personal thing. I hate like, hey, let's get on the phone and see if we're a fit. I mean, that just feels to me from the other side, it's just like a complete waste of time. I mean, do enough research on me to see if I fit your criteria. So that's why I have the assessment. The assessment is like, it gives a ton of value. This is like quiz that we do. It gives them a ton of value where it immediately illuminates an opportunity, but also tells me enough so that before I get on the call, I know if this person's a fit or not. Obviously on the call, I'm trying to assess, hey, do we have chemistry? Is this someone who's going to put in the work? Do I like talking about them? Do I care about them? But I don't need to qualify them. So yeah, like that's always a red flag for me is I work, you know, I work with a lot of consultants and coaches and trainers, et cetera, however you want to label them. If someone's like, hey, let's have a quick call so I can tell you about myself and to see if we're a fit. I'm like, that sounds like such a waste of time. I can read a website. But like from the other side, if someone's like, hey, Let's hop on a call. You can tell me what's going on and I'll make some recommendations. Ooh, I think that's a lot more tempting. So as always, like I think the framing is really important. And the more you have empathy for the person on the other side who is generally like very busy and has an abundance of options, the more that you focus on how can I just add value to them versus like what fits a very convenient process for me. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Interesting uh, contrary approach to some what some people would take as well. So, Chris, I'd love you to tell us also a little bit more about I know that you're you're moving more into sort of uh not just working with individuals one to one, but you're also working on the team performance side of things. So, can you tell us about that transition and and what you've got coming up for us? Yeah, so we have a group class we're doing the third cohort of. It's called Team Performance Training. You can check it out at teamperformancetraining.com. So this is what I like to refer to as a group coaching experience. So we work with CEOs, investors, and we bring them together and essentially hash out what can we do to accelerate each other towards our goals. The three main uh, components versus vision, 
How do you have a really clear idea of what you want out of life, not just in your business, but out of your life? and have really specific steps to get there. Two, prioritization. How do you know what's most important to do on a day-to-day basis and make sure that that thing happens? And third, systems. How can you make everything you do into a process that continually improves over time? Um, luckily, and needing to create a curriculum that scales out to a small group of 12 to 15 people, we're going to 15 this time, it forces you to get at this question of, what is essential? What is the most actionable? Where in a one-on-one conversation, it's much more pattern recognition, problem solving. This is what I've learned from over 500 coaching conversations over the past five years of here are all the things that a high performer needs to have in place in order to be their best self. So it's 10 weeks. Each week I lead through a different component. So it could be planning your day. It could be routines that allow yourself to ramp up. It could be how to maximize your time, attention, or energy, how to learn any skill faster, how to be more present in conversation. Some of these essential skills that I think generalize across being the best at anything. We teach it and then we have the people illuminate each other's blind spots. You immediately put it in practice, talk about what you're doing, get immediate feedback from a peer. It's a format that we really love and we're really excited about. So yeah, we're offering it only once a year. The next cohort is starting February 16th. So if this timing works out, I'm not sure when this episode comes out. Um, We're launching that on January 17th. And yeah, it's application only. So if you're interested in applying, you can go to teamperformancetraining.com. Excellent. People should definitely go check that out. I've, I've also got a personal recommendation uh, of a book you wrote as well, uh, Experiment Without Limits. I'm actually holding it up at the moment. It's a great one. Uh, I, I really recommend. Um, it's it's available as well, I think, online. People can find it on your website. Is that right? Yeah, free free download. Um, you can either go to experimentwithoutlimits.com or forcingfunction.com slash workbook. Put in your email and we'll send you all 100 pages. If you prefer the uh, printed word like Jonathan does, you can get it at cost from Amazon. Put a lot of work into that. I'm a really big believer in open sourcing. So I think someone could get immense value just by working through the workbook. And I say, hey, like workbook's free, go do it. Like that's everything that I worked through. The only advantage of working one-on-one is one, you have me, the forcing function, making sure that you do it but also like the direct feedback and guiding that process. But yeah, everything's in the workbook. I highly recommend it. And I must say that that was probably the biggest catalyst for when forcing function really exploded and took off is I put about seven months into creating that thing. And I just put it on the internet for free. And people thought I was crazy. It's like, you could sell this thing for hundreds of dollars. Why don't you turn it into a product? And what do you know, uh, we've had 10,000 people download it. And these people are now part of our community and share our stuff. And many of them have gone on to become clients and members of our, of our group class. And the ones who haven't have gotten immense value and impact from it and talk about what we do, refer us people. But the reason that I'm really big on this open sourcing is that I think with consultants, it really falls on this barbell approach. Um, barbell made famous by Nassim Taleb and that you have most things that you just give away. You host a podcast, you write articles, you put out books. There are people who can get everything that you do 
and experiencing it firsthand, understand that value. And then you work with a very small select group of highly qualified, highly motivated people who putting your advice into practice faster is worth a lot to them. And that's the approaches. I can only work with about 10 to 12 people at a time, but hopefully I can scale myself first through team performance training, but even more broadly through sharing things like experiment without limits. So yeah, I, I really encourage people. It's like, hey, if you're putting a book for like 10 or 50 or 100 bucks besides some sort of paywall and you're getting like 50 downloads, like put it out there. The amount of attention, respect, validation, uh, ten, uh, I already said attention, but I'll say it again. You'll get from having somewhere out something out there in the wild will far exceed the value that you'll receive from being paid for it directly. And most importantly, like people actually doing the things that I recommend and then giving me feedback, that has been the essential way to improve the way that I do things personally and how I explain them to others. But if I didn't have that feedback, it would be like shouting into the void. But I know what's most useful. I know what people respond to the most. I know what metaphors to come back to. So yeah, I just really recommend trying to find ways to put your work in as many hands as possible. Excellent. Yeah, thanks for that advice. Um, so as we wrap up here, Chris, do you want to tell people just uh, where they can, how they can connect with you online and where, just mention your, your website again, in case anyone uh, needs the address. Yeah, yeah, it's an honor to be here, Jonathan. Uh, so my name is Chris Sparks. My personal site, if you want to learn more about my other identities as poker player investor, is chrissparks.io. My performance consultancy is forcingfunction.com. A couple of URLs I'd direct you on there if you're interested in more. First, the workbook that Jonathan recommended, Experiment Without Limits, is free for download. That's forcingfunction.com slash workbook. Our upcoming course team performance training is teamperformancetraining.com or forcingfunction.com slash team training. Uh, we also have all of the resources that we use internally, not only for performance, but for business owners who want to grow their business. Those can be found at forcingfunction.com slash library. Um, the best place to find me if you're interested in social is on Twitter. My handle there is at Sparks Remarks. So DMs are open. Excellent, Chris. That was very. That was a very comprehensive way to finish off there. <laughs> awesome, great, Chris. Thanks so much for coming on, and uh, speak to you soon. Cheers. Pleasure. Thanks.